0: Good morning, morning. man! I can't wait for school to get started. I can tell you that we're still down in our numbers, but uh, we're glad that you're here today. We have some visitors with us today, and we're always excited about having you. And thank you so much for choosing Western Hills this morning to worship with. And uh, again, school starts for a lot of people this coming week, and we're praying for especially all of our teachers, but the students as well, and we're praying they have just a wonderful, blessed, blessed year. Amen? Amen. All right. Some of you were gone last week, and I haven't seen you in about three or four weeks, and it's really good to see you. It really does my heart good to to look out in an audience where where most of the people like me, Um, (laughs) uh, uh, but, but I love you anyway. All right. I must confess, a foolish thing that I did, and probably not the only one I ever did, but nonetheless, this was a foolish thing I did way back in 1986. I had uh, was on of the, out of the service only a couple of years. I was working for the post office at the time, and uh, Don and I, we were uh, had decided that we were going to build a new home together in Kentucky, and uh, things were going good, and we were happy, and we were excited about all the things that were going on. Well, one Wednesday night before church, this is the late fall of the year, so it gets dark pretty early, and uh, one Wednesday night before church, I went by there to see how things were coming along, and so I dropped Donna and the kids off, They were very small at the time, of course, and dropped Donna and the kids off at her mother's house, which was just up the way from where we were building our house, and I went down to check things out. Well, I knew better, and I said to myself, I know better than to drive up that long driveway to the house because we hadn't brought in gravel or anything really yet. And it had rained that day, but I thought it hadn't rained as much as it had rained. And so uh, about halfway up the driveway, or three-fourths way up the driveway, I began, and you guessed it, I began to hear the sound, That's not a good sound. And so there I am, and my heart sinks, and I get out of the car, and I step up to literally ankle-deep in mud, this thing was stuck. I was going absolutely nowhere. So I'm standing there looking around, and I'm thinking the first thing, the first thing, I'm standing there thinking, Donna is going to kill me. Right? So then after that, I'm going uh, through through this process, and um, uh, there's two things that I really wanted to happen at that point. Two things. Number one... I didn't want anyone to see me. Number two, I wanted someone to see me. So I said a little prayer asking God to forgive me, maybe if not something I said, but I was probably thinking, and you've probably been there, maybe not, you're perfect, I know, but uh, so in this time, about that time, there was a man that drove by. I never saw him bef- uh, before. and never saw him afterwards. He drives by in his white pickup truck, big old, you know, whatever it was. And um, he rolls down the window, stops, and he says, are you stuck? <laughs> okay, we're on good. Remember, this is Kentucky, by the way. But anyway, so... Um, a- after this, I, I I say, yes, I am. He says, well, I got a chain in the back. I'll have you out in just a minute. This guy backs up, turns on a four-wheel drive, backs up. He just jumps out. As an old farmer, apparently. He just jumps right down there in the mud, wraps it around the axle, you know, whatever, and hooks everything up. He said, okay, now we're going to ease it on down there. Just follow my lead. And I said, okay. So he pulls me out just, just like that. He just pulls me right out of this mud. I got out of the car and I thanked him and I said, how much owe you? He said, oh, you don't owe me anything. And as he's getting back into the truck, he simply said, if I were you, I would get some gravel in that driveway before I tried that again. (laughs) And I laughed a little bit and he went on his way. Well, it's not over yet. So I go back down and I pick up my wife Donna and the kids at her mom's house and she gets in the car and she's first thing she says, how'd you get all that mud on the car? Did you get stuck or something? To which I simply said, or something. And then I turned the dome light on and I had mud all over my pants, all over my shoes, all over the, the, the floorboard of the car and all of this. It just didn't look good. And Donna simply said, Harley, when will you ever learn? Needless to say, We were late for church that night, but we got there. Happy, happy. All right. I tell you that to tell you this, and I think it's important. I just happened to think about that story again this week, and so I thought I'd share it with you, but it brought me back to something that I think I, again, I share that because of this. That's the way it is with our lives, spiritually speaking, our lives, We think things are okay, but actually, the truth is, we're stuck in the mud. We're stuck. The truth be told, unless you admit that you're stuck in the mud, sin in your life, you can't get pulled out. You'll always be in the mud. You can't find salvation unless you admit that you're stuck in the mud we going to look at Ephesians today for a little bit. I know Bob's been teaching there and doing a great job for us, and I want to look there a little bit more. Scripture backs up what I'm saying here today by simply saying, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That's what we were. In which you used to, li- used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Don't be fooled. There is a spirit in our world... His name is Satan, and he's doing everything that he can to destroy your life. He is doing everything he can to keep you in the mud, stuck. That's what he longs to be. That's where we were. And then he goes on to say, all of us also lived among them at one time. So it means you can't just look at them and say, oh, they're terrible people. No, because we've been there, haven't we? Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following our and its desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Simply put, we're all stuck in the mud. We are in a mess and we can't get out on our own. Praise God that scripture doesn't stop there. Next verse. It simply says, but because of his great love for us. Give me an amen. amen. This is good news. This is good news. God, who rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show His incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And the church said, Simply put, Christ showed up. He leaned out the window of heaven and said, Stuck in the mud, aren't you? We are. And when I surrender, the great news is, is when I surrender to that fact, when I come to the point where I realize that and I can't get out, and I surrender to His will, His wonderful compassion, His marvelous grace, Pulled me out of the mud of sin in my life. Give me an amen. Amen. How do I know that? Scripture goes on to say, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. God longs to give every person a gift. The man that came along that evening and rolled down his window and pulled me out of the mud gave me a gift. It was free. He was just willing to do it. And God also gives us a gift. Simply put, I couldn't do it on my own, and neither can you. No one can. If I could have, my story would have been about me and how good I was. And how what I can do. And not about His gracious love and grace extended to me. Ephesians 2 verse 9 not by works, so that Harley can't boast. When I first really started studying God's Word, it was probably in the early 80s. Before then, I became a Christian in 1969, and and I loved God, and I went to church, and I went to Bible school, and I went to VBS, and I did all those things, and And I loved God and all those things, but I really didn't start studying God's Word on my own until I was in my 30s. I'd read a scripture here or there if the preacher was boring, and they were mostly always boring. So I would read a little bit in church and say, hmm, I wonder what that means, and really didn't understand it, and kind of went on my way, anybody but me. I didn't say raise your hand if I was a boring preacher, but nonetheless... So when I was probably around 30, I started actually studying God's Word. When I studied God's Word, I began to see that it was talking to me. And that's the beauty of God's Word. It's not just a book. It's not just pages of of these words. It's actually a conversation with me from God, if I let it be. Right? So in that process, there I am, and I'm studying it. And I ran across the verse that threw me for a loop. Well, I've found a lot of those throughout Scripture. But this one really threw me for a loop. And maybe you have been there in your life somewhere along the way. Look at it. It's Matthew chapter 5. Jesus speaking here, of course. And he says to Harley in this regards, he says, Harley, I want you to know something. That unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And I was like, what? What did he just say? The scribes and the Pharisees were all these people that had it figured out, according to me. You just didn't walk in and say, I want to be a Pharisee, or I want to be a scribe. You just didn't do that. That took years upon years upon years to arrive at particular levels of that, to be on the Sanhedrin and the, the, the council there and all those things. It, it took time. And now God is telling me, your righteousness has to be greater than theirs or you can't even see or get in to the kingdom of God. And I'm saying, man, I'm in trouble. But I thought to myself, wait a minute. This is like 2000 or, or 1980 something. That's a long way from back then. We're a lot smarter than they were back then. Surely we are. I went to Ubank High. So what did I do? I started telling myself, well, The way I'm going to do this, I figured out, the way I'm going to do this is I am going to do it on my own. I would have to study more than they studied. I would have to obtain more than they did. And so, boy, I buckled down. I buckled down and I started reading. Every day I started reading God's Word. Wow, I was off and running. I am going to be greater than the Pharisees, man. So I just kept reading for about a week, maybe 10 days. I don't know how long it was, but I missed a couple of days. And when I missed a couple of days, you know what I thought? Man, this stuff is harder than I thought it would be. Anybody but me. We got eight honest people here today. The rest of you are like, uh, he's boring. I'm reading my Bible. All right. So I began to do what I think that most Christians tried to do at some point in their walk with God. Do you know what that is? This is what Christians do. We're good at this. I promise you we are good at this. What is it? Basically, try harder. That's what we do. We just try a little harder. Anybody try a little harder? Anybody? Come on, be honest. Try a little harder. This is what we do when we try a little harder. We fail. So what do we do? We try a little harder the next time. That's what we do. So we try a little harder again. We try a little harder than we did before. We fail. We try a little harder. We read a little bit more. We fail. We try a little bit harder. We pray a little more. We fail. We try a little harder to do good. And we fail. Then we finally give in to what most Christians give in to. Which is this. We try a little harder. We try to do a little bit more good, and we fake it. What do I mean by that? We learn a few verses, put them in our pocket. We carry them around with us. We guard them closely. We learn the cliches, and we blend in as best that we can and hope that no one notices any different, that we all look alike. Ah, he's like me, I'm like them, and we're okay, so everybody's okay. Why do we continue to do that is the question that I wrote down. Why do we continue to do that? Well, let me let you in on something. God sees what we are doing and what we're trying to do. And he's trying to get us to quit it because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, I'm not saying that you're not supposed to pray. Of course not. I'm not telling you you're not supposed to read God's Word. Of course not. I would always tell you those are good things. But it doesn't lead a person to righteousness. It might lead you in the direction of Christ, which connects you with it. But if you're just doing it to be doing it, you're doing it for the wrong reason. you got to be doing it because God says, I expect your righteousness to be greater than theirs. So how are you going to do that, Harley? I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm sunk. The struggle with Christians is that God requires righteousness and we can't measure up in and of ourselves. So what we have to come to terms with, we're all sunk. All of us. Every one of us. Every person. I call it this. I call it the no-talent Christian. What do I mean by no-talent Christian? It doesn't mean that you don't have a talent. God gives Christians talents and He gives you these particular gifts that He only gives. He puts them in the body as He chooses and He puts them there for a reason so that we might be stronger together. And we use those gifts and those talents that God gives us and it grows the body of Christ. Give me an amen. But when I say no-talent of God thing when this or this no-talent Christian, some people think that they have no talent for being a Christian that there takes a talent for being a Christian. Oh, they're they're a Christian because they're much more talented at being a Christian than I am at being a Christian. They look at it as though they're doing other things in their life that they're no good at. For instance, let's just use painting, for instance. Now, I don't know about you. Let's say you want to be a painter, and so what do you do? You go to the store... And you buy all the stuff. You buy the easel. You buy the canvas. You get the paints. You get the little thing you hold in your hand. You get the little tweaky hat. You You put the paint over here. You put the paint over there. You turn it around and say, Hey, get another job because it don't look very good. I'm not a painter. So I must not be no good at a painter. Not going to be a painter. Some people are talented to being painters, but I'm not a painter. So I'm doomed. No painter. Or the cooking. let say it's cooking. You ever watch the cook shows? I love to cook. I, I listen, I am a uh, I, I I love to cook, but I'm a southern boy. I cook in butter and lard, Amen. and it's good. <laughs> okay? But nonetheless, you can watch these, whatever these Southern Oklahoma play, play, you watch these people on TV, and there they are, and they say, oh, mix it this and throw it in there, turn this over there, and they, oh, they wipe it off, everything's clean, smells great, put that just under there, they mix this up, throw it in there, put it in the oven, two seconds later, they pull out, voila, see what you get. It looks beautiful, doesn't it? And they put it on a plate, and they say, oh, and a guest comes over, and he says, oh, this is the best stuff I ever had in my life. You come to my house and I cook like that. Oh, pull the recipe out, watch the video, put it in there, mix this up, turn that in there, throw it in there and pull it out. About an hour and a half later, pull it out. It's like a rubber tire. I'm not a cook. I don't have no talent for cooking. And so in regards to that, in regards to that, I have no talent in cooking. I have no talent in painting. So therefore, I really have no talent in being a Christian. Some have it, some don't. I don't, so I quit. Now, others are like this. You may say what I've said. You may say, it. I can do this on my own. And we try. I can work this out. I can get through this. After all, I'm just as good as they are and probably better than they are. So, but I'm just as good. And if I do just a little bit more, try just a little bit more, try a little bit harder, I'll be all right. No, you won't. No, you won't. Can I be the guy that pulls up and leans out the window today to let you in on something? You're stuck in the mud. But if you will allow him, Jesus will come along and pull you out of that mud. Praise God. Amen? Praise God. All right. The reason the Pharisees, for multiple reasons, a reason I should say. A reason the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus was he knew they were stuck in the mud and he told them they were stuck in the mud. And they didn't like it. They didn't like it at all because they had done everything just right. Everybody else wasn't doing it right. They were. We are the ones to determine whether you do it right or not. Sound familiar? Now, they thought that their righteousness was in doing and not surrendering. Did you catch that? Somebody needs to write that down. They thought that their righteousness was in their doing and not their surrendering. Your righteousness righteousness is dependent upon you surrendering to the right thing, to the right one. They just didn't want to admit it. And you know, it's a funny thing, but I've met people throughout my life. I have met people, men are probably more, more in this category than women. But the good people, good morally, good loves their, love their family, good jobs, all of those things. But they have never admitted and never will admit that they're stuck in the mud. Thinking that they can do it on their own. Thinking that I can get through this on my own. And they never surrender. I want you to know today that God always looks at the heart. When you look at the Old Testament, it talks about, you know, the Ten Commandments. You look at the New Testament, he says, I want to talk to your heart. Because in the Old Testament, it was thou shalt not kill. And the New Testament is what? Well, look to your heart. Because even if you think upon someone with hatred in your heart, you've committed murder already. In the Old Testament, thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm good, I've never committed adultery on my wife. Praise God for that. But I cannot tell you that I've never looked at a woman and go, whoa. And Jesus said, I'm looking at your heart. Because when you look upon her with whoa, you've committed it in your heart. God is always after the heart. But in your heart that he is after, he is willing to cleanse it. Even when you go, whoa. Praise God. Can I have an amen? amen. Jeremiah. The uh, prophet Jeremiah tells us something here of God. He says, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. That's a really uh, it's a hard verse. A puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart. And examine the mind, heart and mind. They go hand in hand. Sometimes they're interchangeable in the scripture and sometimes they're not. In this case, they're two things, your heart and your mind. I get to the heart of the human. God gets to the heart of you. Notice what he says. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. God sees through your pretending to be okay. God sees through your pretending not to be stuck in the mud. You see, instead of trying by our own efforts to somehow be righteous get out of the mud, we need to acknowledge that we are sinners that are separated from God unless we surrender to him so he hooks us up and pulls us out of the mud. Give me an amen. He sent his own son to die on the cross for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still stuck in the mud. Did you get it? Second Corinthians chapter 5, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we say amen to that. It's the, the human side and the spiritual side. The human side is more powerful than the spiritual side until you give it to God. And then the spiritual side now overrides the human side because God lives within you. The things that you cannot do on your own in the human flesh, God will supernaturally change because of His Spirit, because God, in Christ, I can do all things. Give me an amen. amen. That's good stuff. Somebody needs to write that down and preach it. And there it is. You see, when I read Matthew chapter 5, mean, and, though, uh, and thought to myself, how in the world could I ever surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees? And discovered I couldn't on my own. All I had to do... Here's the point. Remember I said I would never tell you to stop reading God's word. Because faith cometh by hearing. And hearing the word of God. You see it? But because I hear it doesn't make me righteous until I surrender to it. Through faith in Christ Jesus. See how it comes in full circle? Now watch. So in this... All I had to do was read a little further, 2 Corinthians chapter five, 5, verse number 21, that we have the righteousness that exceeds, here it is, the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, not because of what we have done, more reading, more praying, more studying, more attendance. Not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done for us. Give me an amen. So look at it for yourself. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. Do you catch that? God made Him who had no sin to become sin for us. Why? So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Can can, can I have another amen? amen? Without this... We're doomed, we're stuck in the mud, we're sunk. But because of this, we have the righteousness of God. Isn't that powerful? i just get chill bumps thinking about it. I'd still be stuck in the mud if it wasn't for Christ. But because of Christ, now I have the righteousness of God, which now surpasses that of the, the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, which now gets me to heaven. Nothing keeps me out of heaven. Except me, not surrendering to Christ, which through him I get, what? Forgiveness of my sins pulled out of the mud. And I become the righteousness of God, not because of me, but because of what I've surrendered to, which is Christ Jesus. Give me an amen. He's about to preach. I don't know why, but here we go. Let me put it like this. Let's switch from stuck in the mud to the ocean. And you're thinking, wow, there's a long ways apart. Well, help me bridge this gap, if you will thought this might help. I used to use this one in um, uh, youth camps and stuff like that. Maybe it might help someone today. I pray that it will. God put it on my heart so it's, it's got to help somebody, if not just me. Let me say, that, let's, let's say that we have to get, out. every person has to get to Hawaii. Or we're all, we're, you're lost. You have to make it to Hawaii. You follow me so far? Shake your head up and down so I know you're out there. All right. So we all have to make it it there. So what we do, we all go to California. We all go to California and we... (laughs) I don't know where that came from. That's not Arkansas. That's California. Okay. And we line up on the shore and we have to swim. Now, we don't get to fly. We have to swim to Hawaii. Now... It's approximately twenty five hundred miles to Hawaii, from California. Twenty five hundred miles in that process. So what do we do? We all jump in and we take off, and they're out about a couple of hundred yards off the shores. This humongous cruise ship that says "free rides to Hawaii." Who gets on first? The people that are afraid to take a bath right? Then the doggy paddlers. Then the ones that can swim just a little bit, like across the pool, not this way, but this way, right? Who's the last person to get on? The one that swims the best, the Navy SEAL dude, or the wannabe Navy SEAL guy. Not making fun of any Navy SEAL people that may have been there. I don't want to get beat up. But remember, it's too far. But you say, wait a minute, you don't know me. So let's just say that you can swim 100 miles. 100 miles. Let's just say that you're even better than that. You can swim 200 miles. You can float on your back for a while, get your breath and turn back over and you can swim a little bit more. Let's just say, let's take it to the max. Let's just say that you can swim 300 miles. You're still 2,000 miles away from Hawaii. But there's something else that's gone on too in that 300 miles. You're exhausted. You're sunburned. You look like a piece of toast. And you are dying of thirst. Surrounded by water. Now, in the meantime, where are all the ones that got on the cruise ship? They're enjoying what you do on a cruise I've never been on a cruise ship. Don't really plan on being on one. I'd probably go on one to Hawaii, so if anybody wants to send me, that'd be all right. Make sure you get two tickets, me and Donna. Two weeks would be great. We'll take three... <laughs> But nonetheless, what what happens on the cruise ship? These people are shuffleboarding, whatever. They're they're going to all this entertainment. They're just having and banquet after banquet after banquet. Food, oh, it's just wonderful. Everything's just wonderful, supposedly. And all the while you're sitting there being cooked by this ocean around you. Think about that. Hang on to that one for a bit. Now, someone is saying it like this. Well, Harley. I'm glad you brought that up, and I will tell you the truth is, and, and, and they may not be here today. They may listen to this in the future, or you may know someone that this has happened to them. It, it may be a brother, a sister, maybe a family member. It may, be, it may be your husband or wife or whatever the case is, but you think about it. And they say, well, Harley, what you don't know is that, you know what? I got on that boat on that cruise. I got on that ship. I I knew I, I was stuck in the mud. I knew it was too far. I got on that cruise a long time ago. But to tell you the truth, I slipped and I fell hard and I fell overboard. And I'm lost. Now what, Harley? Now what? Well, I thought about that when I wrote that down this week. And I thought to myself, well, let me ask you another question then. If you were on a cruise with your family, and one of your children fell overboard, what would you do? You should have paid more attention. I don't know why you won't listen to your mommy and me. Not at all. You say, stop the ship, get the lifeboats, get the life jackets, call the Coast Guard. Whatever it takes, it doesn't matter. Get my child out of the water. That's what you would do. All of us would do that. Every single one of us would do that. Well, let me tell you that God is a God who knows when you fall overboard as well as getting stuck in the mud. And he is a God that will not let you drown. The scripture that I would like to go to is in Luke chapter 15. And you know the story. Again, sometimes we know the story so well that we miss that they are applied. They should apply to our lives at different points in our lives. And so it is the story of the prodigal son. You know what? I'll just share a little bit with you. The son gets his inheritance early. He says, I got to get out of town, dad. I don't need to be around you. He goes and he lives this wild life. He lives it up. He just lives it up. And after he does, he loses all of his money and he has nothing. And he finds himself stuck in the mud. He's fallen hard. he realizes and he says to himself that the word, the word there it says he comes to his senses because somebody today needs to come to your senses somebody just needs to jolt you and just simply say wake up you're stuck in the mud wake up you've fallen overboard but really that's the truth And so he comes to a senses, and what does he do? He says, I know, I'll go back to my dad and I'll say to my dad, I will say to him, I will say, dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired servants and I'll be okay with that. Forgive me and all those things. And the picture is a picture of God. And the picture is a a picture of God in me. The picture of of God in you there in that process. And can you see it as they pull your child up out of the ocean? Because they're they're lost, but they pull them out of the ocean. And what would you do? Just like the father did. You would take a robe and you would wrap it around your child. And you say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. And the child might be saying, I'm sorry, daddy, I'm sorry, daddy. But they would be saying, oh, I love you, that's okay, that's okay, you're safe now, that's all right. You're okay, you're okay. Hey, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Woo, woo. The boat goes uh, and everybody on the ship celebrates and they announce it over the, the microphone or the, the PA system by simply saying, Hey, the child that was overboard has now been saved. Yay! Let's celebrate. That's what happens. That's what happens. That's how good our God is. And somebody needed to hear that today. You see, if you will just admit that you're stuck in the mud, he will pull you out. And if you've fallen overboard, he will rescue you as well. God's righteousness is always available, praise God. And it will always trump our unrighteousness. Because no matter how hard we try, we will come up empty. But unless we have Jesus, and when we have Jesus, we have got the righteousness of God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. All my sin, past, present, and future, placed on Christ at the cross. I got to know that. No, and I'm not saying you run out here and say, fine, like they did in Romans. They, they 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 say, oh, that's great. Then we just get to sin all we want to because all my sin is right there. Grace, grace, grace. No. We lived in that. Now we've died to that. Now we live in Christ. We are new creations. Our spiritual growth depends on us resting in the presence of God. And Him alone. And there is where we find the righteousness that surpasses that of anything or anyone that we might look up to. Any doctrine, any creed. It is Jesus. 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 I want to encourage you today as we get ready to sing this song. I encourage you that God is on your side. That God... in. God is on your side, that Jesus is your friend. He wants to save you. He wants to deliver you. He wants to make you what you ought to be. All you have to do is to come as you are, mud and all. Somebody need it today. Somebody need it today. I just believe that you do. Come now, as together we stand and say, Come, come quickly.